Let me just echo what Jared said. It is good to see you today. We appreciate so much you being here. It is a beautiful day, and we are thankful for the opportunity to be together. Thank you for the songs that we've been privileged to sing under the direction of Brother Billy. We appreciate him and all who lead our singing, and we appreciate you. And it may be that you're here today and you're a guest. We would love to have you come back. We appreciate so much those who visit our services from week to week. We encourage you to continue to come. And if you are looking for a church home, we'd love to have you be a part of our family here. We are closing in on the final couple of weeks of this year. Hard to believe, isn't it? And uh, so we look forward to a great 2022. And we hope and pray that in 2022, we can have a great year together. I want to call attention today to a passage that Jared read a moment ago. Psalm 119, in verse 71, the psalmist makes what I believe to be somewhat of an unusual statement. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. I don't know many people that would say, it's good that I have faced hard times. But I do think that there are people that, in retrospect, after having undergone hard times, difficulties, trials, can say, you know what, there were some meaningful lessons that emerged out of that trial. What I want to do today is something maybe a little bit different than what I typically do when I preach, and that is I want to just share with you some lessons that Nancy and I have learned over the past few months. In no way do I want this lesson to be about us. I don't believe that I'm here to preach about myself or about Nancy, but rather I believe what Paul said, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord. There have been a lot of things that we've learned in the last few months. Some have been probably more difficult than others. But I present this lesson today in hopes that it will help you because the thoughts that I'm sharing today have been thoughts that have been racing in my head for several months now. I've been saying that I'm going to do a lesson on some of the things that I have learned, that we have learned together. And there are so many lessons that we've learned. What I want to do is to just very quickly say this as well. Many of you have faced some tough times in your life. It might be that I can be somewhat of a voice for you in relaying some of the things that we faced and no doubt that you faced and some of the principles that you've leaned upon that we're leaning upon. And my goal is to encourage all of us because whether we like it or not, we live in a world that is subjected to trial, temptation, difficulties, and rare is the person that gets through this life unscathed. I want to begin by, first of all, talking about the fact that one of the great lessons that we have come to appreciate, that I have come to appreciate, is the importance of trusting in the Lord. When it's all said and done, ultimately, we have to have trust in a greater power, and that greater power is God. Solomon gave some very sage advice many years ago. 
when he said, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. I think about David in Psalm 56. David in the long ago said, Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. When you face trials and difficulties in life, and sometimes there are any number of things that come your way that are difficult to process and get through. And so to put your trust in the Lord, no matter what. In Psalm 57, David would say, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. My soul trusts in you. In the shadow of in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. When we found out that Nancy had cancer in April of this year, we began, well, we actually began a journey at the West Clinic. And we have a team of doctors, and they do a tremendous job. And one of the things that I've learned is you literally put your life into the hands of your doctors. But in a larger context, our trust is not just in the experience and wisdom and training of medical personnel, but our trust is in God. And ultimately, that's what's important. You remember Job in the long ago. Job faced a lot of troubled times in his life. He experienced overwhelming losses. And Job said in chapter 13, verse 15, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. There are things that maybe we don't necessarily have all the answers to. And I've had people say to me, I just don't understand why Nancy is facing these problems. Well, I understand why. The reason is because we live in a world subjected to pain and suffering. You remember what Job said, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble? The world that we live in has been marred by sin. Now granted, there are some people that choose to engage in certain things in their life that can be contributory to physical and mental disabilities and problems. But the bottom line is we live in a world submerged in suffering, and it all goes back to one source. That's the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, that opened the door to sin and pain and suffering and, yes, even death. So that's the reality of the world we live in. There's a second thing I would share with you. And that is the uncertainty of life. Some years back, I remember a close friend of mine who's now deceased called me to tell me that he had been diagnosed with cancer. And he said, on Sunday, I was watching the Super Bowl. On Monday, I found out that I had cancer. Cancer eventually took his life. But you know, Life is, a, is uncertain. At best, there are no guarantees. Solomon wrote many years ago, 
who knows what a day may bring forth. I do not have the ability to forecast the future. I don't know anybody that has that kind of ability. And so life can literally change on a dime, can it? You remember the rich farmer in Luke chapter 12. Life was good. He was doing well business-wise. And because his business was doing so well, he said, you know, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull down my barns and build greater. And then I'll say to my soul, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And then God said, you're foolish because this night your soul is required of you. On Easter Sunday of this year, Nancy walked out to get something out of my truck. And when she leaned over the seat, she felt a knot. And I remember her coming in that afternoon and saying, what do you think about this? And so she began, as many of us do, Googling. Matter of fact, she talked to Karen Ray. And Karen told her, you know, my mom's had a number of cysts. And so we went to bed that night thinking it's just a cyst. She had a doctor's appointment the next morning. And so she went to her regular doctor's appointment and said, I want you to look at this. And the doctor said, that's not a cyst. Two days later, imaging was done. A week later, a biopsy. In less than two weeks, we got word that she had cancer. A very aggressive form of cancer. A cancer very difficult to treat. And so, you know, one minute all is well, the next minute, life is completely different. And quite honestly, I don't know if life will ever be the same. I don't think it will be. I don't think it will be the same because of what we're facing. And those of you that are battling cancer, have battled cancer, you understand something about the uncertainty of life. Well one day, sick the next. And then there's a third thing I would share with you. And it has to do with the Scriptures. One of the beauties of God's Word is it enables us to receive counsel and comfort, doesn't it? You remember many years ago, Paul said, talking about the Old Testament Scriptures, that that which had been written aforetime was written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Somebody has said in the past, and many of us are familiar with this, misery loves company. And the beauty of Scripture is that we can look back at some of the great people of Almighty God, men and women, who did not get through this life unscathed. They faced their highs in life. They faced their lows. There were mountaintop victories that they enjoyed. And then there were crushing defeats. They were down in the valley, weren't they? And I can go back and I can look at the Scriptures and I can read about individuals. And I can think about where they were and what they were experiencing, how they dealt with those trials and troubles. David, to me, one of the greatest characters of Scripture is David because when I read the Psalms, I can see someone who is literally pouring out his heart 
to Almighty God. And I see where his trust was and where his trust remained, and that was in Almighty God. The devil wants you to take your eyes off of God, to wave the white flag and to give up. And yet David, though sometimes engaged in things that were, maybe not what, well, engaged in things that he shouldn't have. But when it was all said and done, David was a man after God's own heart. And David has a lot to teach us, doesn't he? The Apostle Paul. When I read about the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, well, really chapter 11 and chapter 12, Paul faced a number of it of adversities and trials in life. You remember, he talked about how there had been given unto him a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet him. That thorn is a significant word in that context. It carries with it the idea of being hit with the hand, literally with the knuckles. And so... Paul was buffeted. Paul faced that thorn in the flesh with courage and confidence, didn't he? And he said three times he pleaded with God to remove that thorn in the flesh, and God said, my grace is sufficient for you. So there are some great people in Scripture that we can read about and that we can learn from, can't we? I mentioned Job. When you look at his life and you think about it, here's a guy that buried 10 children, lost his financial resources, lost his own health, lost the support of his wife, and yet what happened? Maintained his faith in God, didn't he? So we have to learn to be faithful to God and to look to His Word for guidance and counsel and support. There's a, another thing that I want to share with you. It has to do with the privilege of prayer. When you face tough times, one of the things that you find yourself doing is praying to Almighty God, don't you? Paul said concerning the thorn in the flesh he, that he prayed three times that God would remove that source of discomfort. And yet God said, my grace is sufficient for you. You remember Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus is quoted as saying that men ought to always pray and not grow weary. When you look at the life of Jesus, you see a man who spent considerable time in prayer to the Father, didn't he? In the Garden of Gethsemane, the Hebrew writer tells us in chapter 5, verse 7, who in the days of his flesh offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard in that he feared. In Luke chapter 22, when we read of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus is bowing under the weight of the cross. He understands that Golgotha lies ahead. And so in light of the impending cross that He would bear for the sins of the human family, He's praying to God the Father. And three times He says, Not my will, but your will be done. In Luke 22 and about verse 44, Luke said concerning Jesus, and being in agony, what did he do? He prayed more earnestly. There's a lot to be said 
about prayer and the privilege of prayer. When you read the writings of Paul, Paul penned some 13 epistles in the New Testament. Paul spent a lot of time on his knees praying to God the Father. And Paul encouraged others to pray. You remember, for example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul said, pray without ceasing. In other words, your life needs to be a life of prayer to Almighty God. In verse 25 of that same chapter, though, he makes an interesting statement. Paul said to the church at Thessalonica, and you can go back and read Acts 17, the birth of that congregation. And Paul said to the saints there, brethren, pray for us. How'd you like an apostle to ask you to pray on his behalf? Paul asked these folks to pray for him. I can't tell you, I can't tell you how many people have asked on so many occasions, what can we do for you? And I always say, look, the best thing you can do, just pray. That's the best thing that anyone can do. Just pray. I believe in the power of prayer. And not just in the power of prayer, but in the privilege of prayer. One of the great blessings that we enjoy in Christ is the opportunity to approach the throne of God day or night. And you remember Peter said, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto their prayers. God is always ready to listen to His people, isn't He? And James said, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. All James is saying is, a lot of, lot of power in prayer. And so we have the opportunity to go before the throne of God and literally to lay before Him what is burdening our heart, what is hurting us. Peter said it like this, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. If you don't have that verse underlined, I would encourage you to underline it. If you want an Old Testament counterpart to that verse, go back and look at Proverbs chapter 55, or rather Psalm 55, verse 22, where David said, cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. God has sustaining power for His saints, doesn't He? And then I think about the words of Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, who said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me to realize what a tr tremendous resource we have in prayer to Almighty God. And listen, in life, when you're facing tough times, difficult times, uncertain times, it can create an inordinate amount of anxiety. And yet here's what Paul said, In nothing be anxious, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds. So to know that we have that great privilege of prayer. Let me share with you another thing that we've learned. It has to do with patience or perseverance. I guess throughout my life I've always been short on patience. But I'm learning patience. Many of us... We want what we want, and we want it immediately, don't we? What I found out is that when you face some types of disease, they're not immediate answers. It'd be great if somehow we just package everything up and we could have 
the answer to our question or questions immediately. But that doesn't always happen. And what I found out is there are a lot of, there are a lot of waiting. And it may be that that waiting is, well, there's no timetable there. It's open-ended. And you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait. And so you've just got to persevere. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Rome, in Romans chapter 5, you remember he talked about how we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Down in verse 3, though, he talked about tribulation, and he said, tribulation works patience or perseverance. In James chapter 1, James would say, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the trying of your faith works patience or perseverance. So the idea is that when we face difficulties in life, when we face those outward trials common to all people, one of the byproducts is we develop a persevering or a patient spirit. What was it James said, James chapter 5, verse 11? You have heard of the patience, perseverance, or endurance of Job. What we're facing is a marathon. And really, that's life, isn't it? Life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And so you've got to stay in the race day in, day out, come what may. The Hebrew writer, many of the Hebrew Christians were bailing out of Christianity. They were opting to go back to Judaism. And the writer in Hebrews chapter 12 calls their attention to those great, illustrious people of the past. He talked about that great cloud of witnesses that surrounded them. And he said, what we need to do is lay aside every weight, the sin that so easily besets us, and run with patience or perseverance the race that's set before us. And then he says this, looking unto Jesus to make sure that we keep our eyes on the Lord. Whatever's going on in your life, whatever difficulties you face, when you find yourself submerged in suffering, keep your eyes on the Lord. Don't ever take your eyes off of Christ and the cross. I think that's the message. There's a sixth thing I want to share with you. The support of a church family. I can't tell you the support. There's no way that I could verbalize to you how much we appreciate your prayers, your cards, your thoughts, your gifts. It has been overwhelming. And I genuinely mean that. There's something about being a part of the Lord's church that binds us together. And we've heard from people all over the world. And we've been encouraged by people all over our brotherhood that have said, we're praying for you. We're thinking about you. Let me tell you what, that means everything. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the Bible says that the early church continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. That joint participation, cooperation, that sense of brotherhood that we enjoy. Paul would say to the church at Rome, 
that we're to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Paul would write to the saints in Galatia, and he would say, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. When people say they're praying for you and they're thinking about you, I promise you this, it helps bear those burdens. It makes things much lighter to deal with. So I want you to know how much we appreciate you. We're grateful. We're blessed to be a part of the church here. It's a great blessing. Let me share with you another lesson. This isn't in the outline, but I want to share it before I talk about the final lesson that we've learned. And that is accepting the will of God. Learning to accept God's will. You know, when you read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's thorn in the flesh. Paul wanted desperately for the Lord to remove that thorn in the flesh. So much so that he prayed three times. As I mentioned a moment ago, God said, My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Well, what's the point? The point is, God said no. Sometimes we don't get our way. Sometimes we pray and we ask God for certain things and God says no. I don't know how this thing's going to end. I don't know if the cancer will go into remission. I don't know if we're going to be battling it again down the road. I just don't know. But I do know this. Whatever happens, come what may, we accept God's will. Our life is in the hands of God. And listen, I, look, I would like for this to be a storybook ending, but I can't, I can't assure anybody of that. I don't know how it's going to end. But I know this. If it doesn't go as we pray it will, all will be well. All will be well. Nancy and I were talking the other day, and she said, you know, if things don't work out, that's God's will. He can use it to His glory. So sometimes you have to remind yourself of things like that. I want to live. I want Nancy to live. But there are no guarantees. And so to understand that we have to put things in God's hands. And as Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, His will be done. And then finally, hope. Sometimes people say, well, you know, how can you have hope when you're facing a dreaded disease, when you're facing an uphill climb? Well, I know this, that for the child of God, it might be that we lose the battle here on earth, but we gain the victory on the other side, don't we?
You know what Paul said? Isn't that what Peter said? You remember in Romans chapter 5, verse 3, Peter said, tribulation works or leads to perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. We live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. Ultimately, there is a better place and a better day that awaits all of us. Peter said we have a living hope. Because Jesus died and rose again, we have an inheritance. It is incorruptible, it is undefiled, it fades not away, and he said it is reserved in heaven for you. So let's just say we, let's just say that things don't work out as planned. I know this, if things don't go as planned, we can still be in heaven together, can't we? We can go home to be with God. We have hope. And as a child of God, as a believer, our hope is in the living God. He's the anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. I share these thoughts with you, prayerfully hoping that they help you. In no way do I want you to think that I mean this pessimistically. I don't want to have a pity party, but I think that we have to understand reality. This is where we are. And reality says that there are things that we can learn from tough times. And as the people of God, we're going to face tough times. And it may be that in the future, you're going to face some very difficult circumstance. And maybe the odds of you beating that particular trial, disease, difficult, whatever it may be, maybe the odds aren't in your favor this side of eternity. But if you're a faithful child of God, the odds are in your favor. No matter what. What was it Paul said, you remember? For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. To depart and be with Christ is far better. Heaven is what we're all trying to ultimately. Heaven's where we're all hoping to be one day, isn't it? And so to understand that as children of God, some may get there sooner than others, but our goal is to get there. And if we live in such a way so that one day God owns us and crowns us, then we have won the victory. And as Paul said, death is swallowed up in victory. So I hope and pray, I hope and pray that you have a long life, a happy life, a healthy life. But if you face tough times, my encouragement to you, stay strong and stay faithful. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for your love, your kindness. We're thankful for the good times in life, and we're thankful for the tough times in life. And Father, we pray that in tough times, 
but our trust in you will be unwavering. And Father, we pray for all who are struggling and sick and hurting in this congregation and throughout the world, throughout our brotherhood. And Father, we pray that we will endeavor to persevere and that we will grow in our faith. Our prayer is that we would live in such a way so that we can always be accepting of your will. And Father, we ask at this time that you give us the courage to face whatever comes our way. May we have courage and may our confidence be in you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, we know that if this earthly tent or body be destroyed, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands. Life will one day come to an end. When it comes to an end, the question is, will you have that building of God? Will you have that glorified body, that immortal body, that incorruptible body that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, could I encourage you to come to Christ, to put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Son of God, to be willing to trust Him and obey His Word, to do as He has said, to repent of your sins, to confess His name, to be buried with Him in baptism, and then to live with the confidence that you know you have eternal life. If you're here today and your life's not what it ought to be, maybe your faith has wavered, maybe you're not where you need to be spiritually, could we pray with you and for you today? We would be honored to pray on your behalf. I trust God and I trust in the power of prayer. Our elders would be happy to pray with you and for you today as we stand and sing.